This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I am Frank Morano. Well, you know who is back on the platform formerly known as Twitter? Alex Jones, the, uh, I don't know if you'd describe him as a radio talk show host, the, the commentator and conspiracy theorist who is most infamous these days for tormenting the families of the Sandy Hook Elementary School. He had been banned from Twitter before Elon Musk took over by the previous management for repeated violations of harassment and hate policies. But Elon Musk welcomed Alex Jones back into the social media kingdom that he now reigns over after conducting a poll, which, look, when you're Elon Musk and you own the company, what do you think the poll results are going to be? They're going to be whatever you want them to be. Who's going to check? So uh, it's just so interesting to me that these these Twitter polls always end up exactly <laughs> with what whatever Elon Musk was going to do anyway. But anyway, um, this poll of uh, people on Twitter, and not only that, but you had on Twitter at the same time Tucker Carlson do a very, very positive interview with uh, Alex Jones. And not only did Musk cave to the demands to reinstate Alex Jones, but X, as it's called, actively encouraged users to follow it. By the way, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Frank Morano. I promise not to harass you. Because unlike Matt Blaze, I am actually trained in both cybersecurity and workplace harassment that blaze is not so i wouldn't follow him on twitter so um prior to his ban five years ago alex jones had nearly nine hundred thousand followers on twitter by monday night he had surged to 1.6 million and as i mentioned on sunday evening you know musk is not just restoring alex jones he's pretty much actively promoting him he is. He participated in this audio stream with Andrew Tate, Laura Loomer, uh, General Michael Flynn, and um, and others that have been deemed controversial. I think all of them, not Andrew Tate, but the rest of them have all been guests on this show. It was uh, so. A lot of people are giving Elon Musk a hard time 
over this. Uh, they're saying his welcoming of extremists like Alex Alex Jones has put a spotlight on the NFL's partnership with X amidst their renewal talks. Yale professor Jeffrey Sonnenfeld, for instance, told CNN's reliable sources that great brands such as the NFL cannot burn in the fires of Musk's tantrums and maintain a business relationship with him. Let me give you my take, and then I'd love for you to comment at 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. I, I almost always side, take the side of free speech, and that's kind of my take on the Alex Jones situation. Look, I find what he said about the Sandy Hook families reprehensible, but I find having a media environment where people don't get to say what they want even more reprehensible. Now, I don't know, and this is why I'm admitting that my judgment on this is maybe not the best. I don't know what he actually specifically tweeted that they claimed constituted harassment six years ago when he was banned initially. I don't know what he said. So if he said something to the effect of, oh, you know, uh, I'm going to kill you, Obviously, I think that merits suspension and maybe even a lifetime ban. I'm very reluctant to go for a lifetime ban, though. I really, if Twitter or these other social media companies want to fancy themselves as the modern-day town square, I think you should have all voices. This includes left-wing voices, right-wing voices, controversial voices, everybody. I think that's a healthy thing. What I don't like is when Elon Musk wants to wave that flag of free speech, free speech to restore people like Laura Loomer or Alex Jones. But then, you know, he wants to say, well, people can't say from the river to the sea. Um, Either you're for free speech or you're not. Right. I mean, that's my view. So. I um I think it's whenever possible I think it's always a good thing that uh people are able to speak freely and if you don't like Alex Jones which I don't I don't follow him I'm not going to follow him I- I'm curious if you think maybe and I don't even know that he would come on but I'm curious if you think we should invite Alex Jones on this program because I'm interested in talking to anyone that is this controversial, but I also, I don't know. I'm wondering what the danger is of him coming on the program and saying, you know, crazy stuff. Should I avoid giving somebody like that a platform? I don't know. Um, let me know what you think. 800-848-9222, both on Elon Musk's decision to restore Alex Jones and in terms of whether shows like mine, like, I mean, it's not... Like, I'm the first person to come to this conclusion. Uh, Megyn Kelly, on her show, she had him on. That was very controversial. Howard Stern, you know, who's very mainstream now, he had him on. But I'm curious what you think. 800-848-9222. Here was Alex Jones on uh, Tucker Carlson's show talking about one of the Sandy Hook parents that sued him. Let's just say he's, 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 a, he's, a, he's a nice man, and it's not an act. He is... Um, being manipulated by some very bad people. I mean, I'll just say, because i got to be honest, he's slow, okay? And his ex-wife is not. And I don't think he's stupid. I'm just saying he's, he's, 
I've got family members that are really smart in a lot of ways, but they're just real kind of quiet and have this way about them, and 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 they 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 move at a different pace. Like they're fast in some ways and slow in others. And he's, I mean, I think Heslin acts like somebody on the spectrum. Well, uh, you know, obviously I can't speak to that person that he's talking about, but it's interesting. Piers Morgan, who once hosted Alex Jones on his CNN show, he wrote a scathing column about this in the New York Post. He said that uh, Musk couldn't be more wrong about Alex Jones. He's not a free speech hero. He's a hate speech monster. Well, look, as I have pointed out before, when it comes to other issues, hate speech is speech. Hate speech is free speech. You don't have to like it, but there's no hate speech exception in the First Amendment. There's not. I mean, the best example of this, and and this has been sort of reignited with the firing of the president from the University of Pennsylvania, the best explanation of this that I think we've had recently was a brilliant lawyer and a brilliant law professor, John Banzaff, who the other day when we were talking about free speech and what constitutes free speech, and uh, this was right after all those college presidents testified before Congress, he explained what free speech is versus what harassment is. Here's uh, John Banzaff. Give me your view on the state of free speech on college campuses these days and how people who feel that minority views are being repressed. And I generally hear it mostly from right leaning parents or right leaning students, how people whose uh, views might be being suppressed on college campuses can guarantee their free speech in the future. Okay, that's a little complicated. I'll say, answer your first question, the way I would describe free speech on campuses today I can't use on radio, (laughs) is that it does look like uh, the rules are not evenly enforced. What they can do is they can file complaints uh, with the Department of Education. Uh, The Department of Education is currently investigating some 50 different schools, about a dozen different universities, My university, George Washington University, has the unique distinction of being under two different investigations. But turning to the testimony today, or yesterday, I guess, Mm -hmm. uh, your listeners probably remember that the the college presidents got up there and basically said, oh, we can't do anything about it. It's free speech. We can't stop them from doing it. Well, a word I can use on on the air is that's crap and BS. Well, I'm sorry we didn't have the rest of that clip because he gets into uh, specific examples. And basically, I asked him about the phrase from the uh, river to the sea. Should you be able to say that? And basically what he drew the comparison was, should you be able to go onto a college campus and say, nuke Norway? And of course, the, the answer is yes, because there's a speech only becomes harassment or something that is potentially criminal when it's when it's um it presents a clear and present danger so the chances of somebody being on campus and saying nuke norway or bomb iraq or bomb iran or destroy israel it is constitutionally protected it is so um you have law professor Eugene Volokh. 
He wrote very bluntly, there's no advocacy of genocide exception to the First Amendment or to the contractual promises of student free speech that private universities rightly implement. I think the same thing kind of applies on social media as well, if they claim to believe in free speech. Uh, Law professor Howard Wasserman has explained much anti-Semitic speech, as with most hate speech, is constitutionally protected. Horrible and unnerving, but constitutionally protected. It takes a lot for speech to cross the line into harassment, incitement, or true threats. Much of what we've seen on campuses, this is law professor Howard Wasserman, the past 24 days does not cross or even come near that line. And schools can't punish unauthorized anti-Semitic Tear, um, you know, tearing, tearing or projecting more harshly than any other unauthorized tear, tearing or projecting. And, you know, again, this is why Banzaf in his interview with me, and I really do hope you'll go back and listen to it. He suggested that universities should adopt uh, a completely content neutral time and place manner restriction banning all projections of signs onto buildings regardless of what the message is prohibit wearing of masks and other fake coverings except where medically required and then finally impose immediate even-handed strict no exceptions punishment for violations of its rules that's what he said when we spoke now what he said um Banzoff, that even if some, let's say you go out there and say on social media or on a college campus or write on a blog, nuke Norway or demolish Denmark or annihilate Austria, um, that speech would be protected by the First Amendment or in the situation of John Banzaf by his university's legally binding guarantees to follow the First Amendment because none of those uh, create a clear and present danger that anything might in fact happen and if some depraved genius was so moved by these words that he did destroy one or all those countries the speech would still not violate any campus rules because such a danger is not clear and present so that's the banzaf solution and that's honestly the most clear-eyed explanation of the difference between free speech and incitement versus free speech and harassment that i've heard to date. So I really do hope you'll go back and listen to that interview and uh, you can check it out. Just go search Frank Morano interviews and more on the Red Apple Podcast Network and you can hear the whole thing. I thought it was worth listening to for a bunch of different reasons, but I think the free speech aspect of it was the uh, was the best. 800-848-9222. Uh, David is in the Bronx. Hi, David. Yes. Um, good morning. I want to mention this Alex Jones and what I still call Twitter business, but I also wanted to say on the subject of free speech that I am in largely in agreement with you, and I find this movement to silence people on campus disturbing. I think if a person gets in someone's face or touches someone or physically threatens someone, that's different. But to advocate an unpopular point of view is what the First Amendment is all about. Well, and, and David, what, about- and I'm going to let you make whatever comments you, you want, but I just want to add to what you're saying. What Banzaf said is if uh, if you're just chanting, say, from the river to the sea in the uh, campus square, that's one thing. But if you say, uh, write that out on a piece of paper and uh, staple it to a student's door or something, that's, that is different. You know, it is not the same right. thing as just 
speaking, then it could be construed as harassment. So I think you're right. No, that's exactly right. That would be a definite case of harassment. And I think we're going way overboard. And those college um, presidents, I think they obviously were flat footed and not uh, very wise in their responses to Miss Stefanik. But uh, that's an issue for another day. Now, on Alex Jones, Twitter can have on whoever they want. I have no problem. I mean, I do have major problems with Alex Jones and a bunch of other people. But advertisers also have a right to not advertise on X slash Twitter if they find that content offensive. And that's my problem with, with uh, Mr. Um, the guy that runs Twitter. I, now I forgot right, his Musk. name. Yeah. Yeah, Musk. That's my problem with him because he complains that advertisers are leaving. But they, it, listen, that's their right too. You have a right not to advertise on a, on, in a private uh, business. That's, a, that's our right too. You have a right to boycott people you don't agree with. Those are all the rights that are covered under what we call the First Amendment, at least as far as the government is concerned. But we also practice it in private business to a large extent. So Musk really needs to be consistent and not silence certain voices and then promote others. That's, that's where I think a lot of us are having problems and, and really thinking about leaving the platform still. Yeah, well, thanks, David. Look, I'm not thinking about leaving the platform. I hear what you're saying, and I've pointed out all these varying aspects of Musk's uh, hypocrisy, not just on free speech issues, but others. But, you know, he's one of these guys that he kind of makes no bones about the fact that he doesn't have it figured all out, that he is, I don't know, doing the best that he can at the, any given moment, that he does change his mind, that he does learn. And I hope that he'll. one of the things that he learns is to be a bit more consistent in applying free speech. And I have to say... It's not as easy as it sounds. It really is not. I know this from administering a, a tiny little Facebook group. Imagine that multiplied by millions and all the decisions that you have to make about what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. I have a tough time making decisions myself about what comments should be allowed, what posts should be allowed. Well, is that within our guidelines? Is that? I don't know a lot of the time. And uh, I can't imagine what a company like Facebook or Twitter must go through. Marty is in Maryland. What's on your mind, Marty? Hey, how you doing, Frank? Hey, I don't know. You know, to me, uh, Alex Jones is kind of like a wackadoo. Yeah, he, he well, just, I don't he, think you're going out on a limb on that one. I, I don't think a lot yeah. of folks would disagree with you. The question is, is he a wackadoo that should have the right to tweet? Uh, oh, yeah. I, I, You know, if they want to tweet, I don't tweet. I, I think the whole Twitter thing, it's like, uh, like um, uh, Donald Trump's wife said, that, you know, basically it was... Uh, a downfall to him. She wanted him to get rid of his Twitter account. He never would. But mm -hmm. I don't know, have you heard of, uh, of a, a guy? I don't know if he does. I think he does maybe. Um, uh, he's not on the radio, but probably on the computer named Pete Santelli. Pete, that name sounds familiar. Uh, I don't yeah, know. I don't know. Uh, I don't think I know him, though. No. But he's got a, a show and he plays this awful music this, for 15 minutes at the start of the show. And then uh, uh, basically. Um, he just goes on and on about different stuff. And, and I listened to him a couple of times and, and my friend kept telling me, well, you know, Oh, this is going to happen next week. This is going to, all right, this is what's going to go. Nothing ever happened. The guy was just totally full of it. And I, I asked him, I said, you're still listening to him. And he said, yeah. And I said, why? You know, he's wrong on everything he spouts. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm I'm just doing a quick uh, bit of research on him now. It, it, yeah, I think he and Alex Jones are certainly uh, kindred spirits in many respects. Uh, but uh, I, uh, yeah, I'm not too familiar with him here. But look, and thanks for the call, Marty. I think everybody should 
be able to be heard, right? I mean, well, I don't want to say everybody should be able to be heard. Everybody should be able to speak, right? You have a constitutional right to speak. You don't have a constitutional right to have people listen. And it's up to these platforms whether they want to allow that kind of thing. And I, I kind of applaud Musk for being willing to allow Musk, uh, Jones on there. I'm trying to figure out if he'd make an interesting radio guest. I suspect he might. I might invite him. Carl is in New Jersey. What do you think, Carl? Yes, uh, Frank. Uh, the reason why Alex um, Jones was banned, because, uh, and I hope I'm correct, he said that the Sandy Hook shooting was a hoax. Yeah, well, that's why he was sued um, and has a $1.8 billion judgment about him. I don't know if uh, that was also what he tweeted that resulted him getting banned from Twitter. Okay, but when you have a man like that, he put those families through. I mean, that was an event that happened, the whole world, and he went on and on. And how can you allow a man... Yes, you do have the right to free speech, but you don't have the right to tell lies. Well, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Lies are free speech. Not a, no. I mean, it goes back to the to the theory that you can't yell fire in a well. As I've explained before, theater. Carl, that's not true. You can yell a fire in a crowded theater. Since when? Well, since always. So what you're referring to, and I've explained this before, so I'm not going to belabor the point to people that uh, that have heard this before. Um, first of all, the, the saying was you can't falsely yell fire in a crowded theater. There's one um, minority opinion by, uh, no, it, it was one opinion, I don't remember if it was dissent or if it was, uh, if it was the, the opinion written in a 1919 Supreme Court case by Oliver Wendell Holmes in uh, Sh- uh, uh, the Shank case. And that was overturned. Basically, what they were saying in Shank versus the United States, they said that um, they, they were upholding an unconstitutional law. That decision was upheld and, over, excuse me, was overturned in Bradenburg versus Ohio in 1969. But even if it wasn't overturned, the opinion that Oliver Wendell Holmes had written in that case, it doesn't become law. It's basically commentary. So you could potentially be arrested for inciting a riot if you um, if you yell falsely, fire in a crowded theater. But if there's no riot, there's nothing wrong with what you've shouted. Well, I don't want to say there's nothing wrong. There's nothing illegal, depending on what state you're living in. This is what you just said. One of the biggest misconceptions that people have with the uh, free speech case and the case that Oliver Wendell Holmes was uh, trying to make the case for was that you can throw a presidential candidate in jail for opposing World War One. And that's what they did. That's what the government did. They said that Eugene V. Debs, who peacefully uh, spoke out against World War I and demonstrated against it, they uh, charged him with the Espionage Act. And they wrote this opinion to justify what was clearly unconstitutional conduct by the government. 800-848-9222. Robert's in Suffolk. Hi, Robert. Hi, Frank. I don't think businesses should be in the business of restricting free speech. 
they should be subject to the same standards as the government. There is no exception for businesses like big tech in the Constitution. Well, I know, but you understand, right? So, Robert, the the Constitution, the First Amendment says um, Congress shall make no law, right? It doesn't say private companies shall make no law. So it says Congress shall make no law respecting uh, or prohibiting uh, the free exercise of religion or freedom of speech. It doesn't say that a private club, for instance, or a um, or a private company of any sort can't make its own rules. They are a private company. Well, what about the Citizens United case where political contributions which paid for campaign ads were equated to free speech? Right, and but that's still refused. That's still were, that was overturned. Right, it still doesn't give you a right to tweet anything you want in violation of what someone wants on their platforms. Right? Yeah, I mean, you, you see the difference. You know, maybe we we should have Professor Banzef back for a broader discussion of free speech because I, there's clearly a lot of confusion. There's a lot of confusion about Shank versus the United States. A lot of confusion about the Citizens United decision because the Citizens United decision has nothing to do with free speech um, as it relates to tweeting what you want. Nothing. Nothing. And, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but I can read the decisions, and so so can you. They're all publicly available. I, you know what it is? People hear something, and then they repeat it without checking if it's true. And that's the danger, quite honestly, of broadcasters like Alex Jones, the broadcasters like that fellow Paul Santilli or Peter Santilli, And that's what my reluctance might be in having someone like Alex Jones on the show, because if he's just going to say something that's plainly incorrect, I mean, obviously I could say it's not incorrect, but, you know, then he kind of filibusters and shouts you down in that way that he speaks. Is there a danger in that? I don't know. I'm going to give that some thought. Um, Larry is in Brooklyn. Hi, Larry. Yeah, hi, Frank. There's a distinction that I think you're missing, basically. You know, what it has to do with uh, incitement. On a, a campus is not the same environment as the rest of society. So, because because the students there are captive, it's a captive environment. If you have Jewish students on campus and you yell from the river to the sea, or they actually went further and they said intifada, which is actually a more of a direct threat. These students, they're hiding in their dorm rooms. That's where they live. Okay, but if you if you march over the Brooklyn Bridge and you yell from the river to the sea. Well, somebody who's living in their house somewhere says, well, they don't know where I live. They're not cognizant of my existence, but they're cognizant of the Jewish students. And that constitutes a direct threat. So a campus environment is a different situation altogether. Well, I I know. But if the and again, I'm not an expert on on campus rules and campus free speech. But if, as Banzaf says in his commentaries and his interviews with me, that the um, these schools adopt the First Amendment as their controlling governance when it comes to what demonstrations are prohibited, then their rulings have to be pretty consistent with the First Amendment. That's. Uh, again, that's his interpretation of it. I, I, I can't do justice to how he made the argument. He was much better uh, at explaining it than I am, clearly. But go back and listen to that interview again. Um, RedApplePodcastNetwork.com. Search um, 
you know, just search Frank Morano interviews and more, and he was on just the other day. All right. Um, hey, James Flippin is here. We're going to give him an opportunity to see if he can uh, sit in Gnome Layden's chair for the day, see what he brings to the table. Let me squeeze in one last call here on this subject or whatever other subject. Gene is in Manhattan. Hi, Gene. Yeah, hi there, Frank. Uh, with regard to Frank Sinatra, I loved your conversations tonight with the people about Frank. Uh, a number of years ago, the New York Public Library for the Performing Arts had a great exhibit of Frank Sinatra and had family members during a, a program in their auditorium. And uh, Frank was a painter. He and his uh, daughter and granddaughter uh, would go down to the basement in their home in New Jersey. And uh, they would Saturday discuss what they were going to paint. And Sunday they'd go down the basement and do painting. And I actually saw one of his paintings in a newspaper ad for an auctioneer. Uh, and uh, it wasn't a realistic uh, kind of picture. It was uh, stylistic and design. And they remind me also that uh, Tony Bennett uh, was a painter. He used to bring all his paints with him when he went on tour. I don't think Frank ever did that, but he would paint at home. You know, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because you're exactly right. Frank Sinatra was a uh, a terrific painter, and he picked it up in the 40s, started it as a hobby in the 40s, and then when he had kind of a, a little bit of a, a retirement, he really got into it and would paint every day. And you can buy some of uh, Frank Sinatra's paintings online. They, they're quite good. And uh, there's uh, I saw one clown portrait that he's done, which is pretty good, and uh, I I wouldn't have thought to mention that had um, had you not called in. So thank you for that, Gene. James Flippin will join us in a moment, and we will chat about, I don't know, something that James Flippin finds interesting. What is it? Only time will tell. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Watertown album by Frank Sinatra. It is Frank Sinatra's birthday. A lot of people didn't like this album. One, I love that it happened because it was so different from everything else Sinatra had done. And I love that he did a concept album. And I just gave him so much credit for being willing to take a chance. And I think a lot of the songs are great. And I love the story that it tells about the pro protagonist on the, on the album. All right. Well, normally around this time we hear from uh, Noam Laden but Noam Laden is taking a well-deserved day off and uh, 
The fella that uh, generally f- sits in for Gnome, oh, I have found, actually sounds pretty good, and he's uh, got pretty interesting story selection. So we're gonna we're gonna give the one and only James Flippin an opportunity to see if um, we can, you know, keep up with Gnome as we embark upon. Stand by for the other side of midnight's news. City, the other side of midnight, and its affiliated stations present national and international news with Frank Morano and news director Noam Layden. Their summary of the world news and personal comments. Get the rest of the story. James Flippin, welcome. Hey, Frank. Well, good morning, and thank you for having me on. Always a pleasure to uh, fill in for Noam and now to join you here on the other side of midnight. And now, when you have to do these uh, super early hours uh, for a day or a day or two as you do this week, does that screw you up for the whole week uh, to get back onto a schedule? You know, it's funny. You obviously would probably be an expert on this kind of thing, like disjointed sleep schedules and stuff like that. But um, usually, so I'll be filling in today and tomorrow, and usually just the two days doesn't screw me up too much. The one time I remember over the summer I filled in for Noam for the entire week. Uh-huh. By the time I got to like Thursday, I was definitely a little bit I gotcha. delirious. I gotcha. Um, All right. But, you know, for the most part, I can bounce back. All right. Well, I have no doubt. Well, it's good to see you. Thanks for coming on. All right. So you have some interesting stories to uh, to tell us about. Yeah. So this one's pretty interesting. Um, I know that you guys tend to go sort of, you know, international uh, sometimes, get some intrigue on that mm-hmm. front. And this story out of the Washington Post, not sure if you saw it, um, is claiming that China's cyber army is invading critical U.S. services. Now, this is connecting to alleged cyber attacks that have been launched by uh, the Chinese military, allegedly. Like, for example, a utility in Hawaii was actually uh, attacked, a West Coast port, a pipeline among the victims in the past year. And these are previously undisclosed details, as reported by the Washington Post, a cyber campaign called Volt Typhoon first detected a year ago by the U.S. government, and this coming about one month after that meeting between President Xi and Biden in San Francisco. Now, what do the Chinese, what do people think, anyway, that the Chinese get out of attacking something like that? Well, I, you know, I think that, in essence, they're talking about these are sort of maybe attempts to probe the defenses a little bit. I got you. You know what I mean? Like, how far can these attacks go? Um, I'm not, you know, certainly hearing that there's anything nefarious that's being alleged in that respect, like that they tried to shut off the water or shut down the power or something like gotcha. that. So it's almost like unauthorized spying, which uh, certainly I don't, I think if you followed what China is doing, wouldn't come as a surprise to, uh, to anybody. So that is, that is interesting. And uh, what's been the government's reaction? Our government? Well, I mean, again, in terms of what the U S government has said about this particular report. I don't know that we've actually heard from the state department as of yet, but well, it'll be curious. Um, uh, as we, you said, we do know that right now we're hearing about the efforts to resume military communication between Beijing and Washington, DC. Like we talked about, it was a month ago mm-hmm. that we had this meeting, this summit, this Asia Pacific summit in San Francisco, where Biden and G sat down. They talked about they were going to resume that military hotline that was shut off a couple of years ago. But apparently that hasn't happened yet. Huh. So Well, uh, that is wild. I, I'm going to have to read that story. I had not seen that in the Washington Post. I'm going to take a look at that. Yeah, worth checking out. Um, so we've also got this. This is the latest out of the you know Israel-Hamas war, where Israel says its forces are surrounding the last Hamas strongholds in northern Gaza. 
you know, we've heard about how the fighting is kind of moving to like the southern uh, portion of the Gaza Strip. And now Israel says that they're on the verge of dismantling. Uh, Israel says they're on the verge of dismantling Hamas battalions in the northern part of the Gaza Strip. And like we said, attacks are being stepped up in the south. And the total number killed at this point, 18,000, dating back to October 7th. So, again, that's what Israel says. Always tough with the fog of war and what's really going on and all that kind of stuff. But uh, the IDF says that they're, you know, encircling their final positions there in northern Gaza. Now, I know there's been a lot of controversy about those casualty numbers. Uh, the, uh, The Gaza Health Ministry was putting out one set of numbers, and even President Biden said, well, you know, the Gaza Health Ministry is controlled by Hamas. We can't necessarily trust what they're saying. That number that you just cited of 18,000, are, is that from the Gaza Health Ministry? Is it from the IDF? That's, so that's kind of working off the combo of the two. You know what gotcha. I mean? Like when when I look at these numbers uh, on the, the one news wire, they're kind of combining the two. They're saying, all right, this is the total number, I guess, alleged, you would say, because like you were pointing out, there is some discrepancy and some dispute as to what's legit, what actually happened how much of this is propaganda on both sides? Frankly. Right. I mean, not honestly. You know, if you're talking about, uh, you know, an a ch- innocent child being killed, whether fifteen thousand people are killed or eighteen thousand, twelve thousand. If it's your child, you don't necessarily care what the statistics are. It's just interesting to me, you know, how it's being put out there to the world. If yeah. it, the world's getting an accurate number of right. the number of militants being killed versus the number of civilians being killed, or if uh, there are some parties that have an interest in hyping up the civilian death toll in order to make what is happening now look worse by comparison. But as you said, with the fog of war, there are known knowns, known unknowns, and unknown unknowns. Or maybe it was either you or Rumsfeld that said that. Yeah, well, I think it's hard sometimes with, like, you know, you cover some of these domestic stories, let's say, or New York City stories, right? So many different times, mm-hmm. it almost becomes, like, interchangeable. It's just the names and the places and all that is kind of changing. The international stuff and talking about war, I find that especially challenging because it's like, you know, this particular State Department official says X and this agency and organization and and then Qatar is involved or something like that, you know. So it's it gets a little bit confusing after a while. But, yeah, at least in terms of looking at what's alleged on both sides, you're talking around 18,000 since October 7th. Interesting. Uh, How about one more? One more for us, James? Yeah, sure. So this is where that guy, Jack Teixeira, um, the alleged leaker who kind of put some classified documents out online. He's a Massachusetts Air National Guardsman or was. The Air Force now says that he acted alone, but they've disciplined 15 others for dereliction of duty. Um, U.S. Air Force Inspector General Investigation found that the unit failed to take proper action after finding out that Massachusetts Air National Guardsman Jack Teixeira had intelligence-seeking activities going on. However, there was no evidence that his supervisors were aware of these alleged leaks on social media. So, um, again, there's been a lot over the last year, two years, about classified documents and what happens there. This is a guy who at least was within the 
uh, military auspices and was getting classified information, even though he really wasn't of a high rank. You know, like I remember that. the Teixeira case when when it occurred, and I remember thinking, and after finding that Joe Biden, Donald Trump, and Mike Pence all have classified d- documents basically being used as coasters in their house, I-, I remember thinking, there's way too many people that have access to classified documents. I mean, if this guy that clearly has no, uh, no qualms at all about blabbing to anybody on, I think it was four Fortnite? Was it Fortnite, the game that he was playing? or uh, whatever That game sounds right, because I know it had something to do with video games. I thought it might have been Twitch or something it, maybe like that. Maybe that was it. But, but they also might have been playing Fortnite on Twitch, because it's just a platform for streaming you video know, games. If this guy is getting classified documents and in a position to leak them, who's not getting classified uh, documents? Well, yeah. it's going to be very interesting to see how that turns out as well. James, thank you. We'll see you tomorrow, right? You're you in will, yes. Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. We'll look forward to that. Good luck with your adjustment to the hours. Thank you. We'll see James Flippin on the next edition of... And now you know the rest of the story. 800-848-9222. We're going to do 15 seconds of fame in just a bit. And then uh, we'll take your calls there. There are uh, two open lines if you want to start queuing up. Uh, It's uh, 800-848-9222. Oh, you know, the thing about uh, Tucker Carlson that I was going to mention before in the context of uh, Alex Jones. Right now he's doing... His show on uh, tw- basically on Twitter, basically not not basically on Twitter, basically I didn't mean to say basically twice, but he's launching this new network. It's called the Tucker Carlson Network, very creative, and it's slated to go live at ninety nine. Do- excuse me, nine dollars, not ninety nine, nine dollars a month. And you get access to, you know, the videos that he that he makes. And I think other shows are going to be on there as well. I don't really know the details about what other personalities might be on there. I'm curious to see how this works out, because sometimes this works out really well. Megyn Kelly's move to independent media has worked out really well for her. Same thing with Bill O'Reilly. Others, they have not had the same success. So I'm curious to see how this goes. I uh, I like Tucker. I like that he's out of the box. I like that he does a lot of different things. It's not the same kind of rote re- repetition of talking points that you see on the rest of cable news. But I'm wondering if um, you can sustain a whole network for that and how many people are willing to pay $9 a month. I mean, how many people? Tucker's got millions of fans, right? So let's say, uh, let's say, a hundred thousand of them are willing to pay nine dollars a month. Well, maybe that's a little high. Let's say forty thousand of them are willing to pay nine dollars a month. Because I honestly wouldn't. I'm not looking to add another. And I liked it, like Tucker. I'm a fan, but you know, I'm not looking to add another bill to my monthly tab. If only forty thousand of Tucker's millions of fans were to pay the nine dollars a month, that's three hundred and sixty thousand dollars a month so that's 4.3 million dollars in revenue with a very very no it's got to be more than that 360 no i'm not great with his math right is that yeah 360,000 times 12 yeah, I guess that is $4.3 million in revenue each year. Now, let's say you're allowing for four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars $500,000, let's say even say $600,000 in, 
in production costs and salaries, which I think is very generous. That's still over. That's still about three and a half million dollars a year he's taking in just in pure profit. Now that's before he sold one ad. That's before he's. That's just from the subscription fees, not anything else. Before he sold one product, like a Tucker Carlson mug or something. So I, I think this could be very profitable for him. I think it'll be very, very interesting. All right. 800-848-9222. We'll do 15 seconds of fame in just a bit. Hey, I wanted to mention in Baltimore, where we have a lot of great listeners, the Double T Diner in Bel Air, Maryland, is closing after more than 20 years in business. It is closing on December 31st. I've never been there. This looks like my kind of diner. If I, I'd always said this would be exactly the kind of diner that I would go to if I ever made a trip down to uh, Bel Air, Maryland. So I'm sorry for the Marylanders that are not going to have the occasion to go there after December 31st. But if you're one of these people that likes diners or has always wanted to go there and you are familiar with this one and think, oh, you can always go next week, next month, next year. You can't. You have until the 31st. So good luck. 15 seconds of fame straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side at midnight with Frank Morano. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain, my friend. I'll say it clear. I'll state my case Of which I'm certain I've lived A life that's full I traveled each And every highway And more Much more than this I did it my Frank Sinatra singing my way as only he can, the chairman of the board. Uh, today, of course, would have been Frank Sinatra's birthday, uh, so we've been spending a lot of time listening to some great Sinatra songs and uh, sharing some great Frank Sinatra observations and anecdotes. Uh, what else did I want to share with you before we uh, got out of here? Oh, um, there's been, you know, there's been a lot more written about the price of oil and gas. You know, I chronicled before how the price of oil and gas had fallen to an 11-month low. And one caller called in and said, basically, why? Well, a few things happened, and there was an article that came out today, I think it was in Axios, on the quiet oil boom. And what's happened is, as Russia has cut production as Saudi Arabia has cut production we have just produced a record amount of oil 
We're up to 13.1 million barrels per day. Per day. So American oil production, which is already higher than in any other country, is quietly setting new records and helping to push down gas prices. Oil wells are booming again this year after the pandemic crushed demand and reduced production. U.S. oil production is over it's over 13.2 million barrels per day. And that tops the records that were set back in 2019. The average gas price in this country is 3.15 per gallon. That has plunged since hitting records in summer of 2022. Now, why did this happen? There are four main forces they say that uh, are at play here. One, high high oil prices in recent years provided an incentive for oil producers to drill. Oil was being sold for a lot of money, so people were drilling as much as they could. So producers at prolific U.S. shale basins are improving efficiency and they're drilling horizontal wells up to three miles long. Also, Saudi Arabia and uh, and other allies, they've held back production as OPEC is looking to prop up prices. So the Saudis want the price of oil up, so they've cut production. So that leaves a market opening for who? Us. Us. And uh, also investment and permitting decisions that date back several years uh, for offshore development are leading to more oil as well. So the record drilling is very interesting to watch to see not only the economic but the political implications of it. More on that tomorrow, I think. Meantime. The other side of midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Jimmy! Shaking Jacob. Peter. Sizzle Moron, Sizzle Moron, Sizzle Moron. E. Frank. Yes, superstar Frank Morano, my friend and uh, Christian Roman Catholic ally, Curtis Leewood, talks about swagger man with no plan. None of his guardian angel leaders and patrol officers are talking and denunciation mayor Adams. Why? Neil. If we're producing so much oil from drilling, why is the president begging Venezuela for oil? I don't believe the statistics, Frank. Raji. In view of the three uh, 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 generals, freebies from Mayor Adams valued at $80,000 per annum, only 20% of the illegals showed up for $14 an hour job offers. Rocco. Incredible show. One for the time capsule. Santos and Sinatra. Israel forever. Happy Hanukkah. All right. Uh, those of you that we didn't get to, uh, call back tomorrow. We'll try and get to you then. Dr. Sky here tomorrow and Elliot Gordon. Frank Morano, good day. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.